tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. to another edition, a sparkling edition of the Thought Police. Um, we're all going on holiday pretty soon, so um, this might be the last one you hear from us for a bit, which yeah. is going to be completely and utterly um, up to date, if you like. Yes, because we're going to be doing be guest. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're not going to pretend that we're looking into the future or anything yeah. like that. Um, but obviously, what we'll do is we'll put a couple of podcasts out which are not particularly time sensitive That's about right. stories about Fleet Street, stuff like that, that yeah. you know, we can talk about. But I want to talk to you about the power cut that we had last yeah, week, right? Amazing. Because I know that you're not particularly an eco warrior, are you? I mean, even well, though you drive a Volvo. I do my and, bit. Well, I'm just about to get an electric car. So you said. I yeah. recycle a lot. Well, I'd be a bit worried about that if I were you, because it turns out... Yeah, right, it needs uh, electricity. Uh, one, it needs electricity, <laughs> and apparently the wind farm that was supposed to supply electricity to us yes. over the course of the weekend failed alongside a gas-fired power station, and both both of them failed, which meant that there were no trains going anywhere. It was amazing. There was no tubes going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, there was large swathes of northwest of England out of power, and large swathes of sort of, not I think, Norfolk, where, yeah. uh, where you well, Ipswich, spend a bit of time. Ipswich Hospital yeah. lost its power, and right. also the backup generator failed. So they were running around Christ for about nice. half an hour keeping yeah. people alive, I think. You That's know? nice, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it does worry you, doesn't it? Because I used to say um, that the infrastructure of... America, uh, whenever I go over there, I notice now, and I think we've talked about this before, is kind of failing because so many of the train lines, so many of the kind of, you know, the things that you take for granted that you use every day, the roads are in bad shape because there isn't money, for, you know, the states mostly don't have any money to fix the roads, so there's potholes everywhere. You know, New York City has always been sort of semi-bankrupt anyway. Yeah. But, you know, I'm beginning to worry about what we have here because notwithstanding that Boris is going to build, you know, HS3, somewhere between Leeds and Manchester, we've got HS2 going on. A lot of our infrastructure is not very good. Well, they do say when, uh, I mean, literally when people start noticing potholes, yeah. that, that is a massive swing in people's view about politics. Right. And it, so it does come down to really basic things like, you know, the, the, the litter's not getting picked up in your street, there are holes in your street. Um, but the electricity failing isn't yeah. something you factor into your thought process well, it's not. at all. No, not since the and funnily enough, I was listening to somebody talking about electric cars the other day, and I'm and not against electric cars at all. I think you know, once everybody has an electric car, that would be great. Mm. But until that moment, what are they going to do when, for example, people who've got hybrid cars, which also still use some form of uh, 
you know, electric, the, the fuel, Petrol, fossil fuel yeah. as well. Um, you know, are they going to be exempt from congestion charging? I think are they, they are. Are they going to be? Yeah, but they might not be because yeah. they might say, well, hang on, you're still using, you know, something which you're yeah. not supposed to use. But also, I think the government have just announced in the last week they're going to put out more of these charging points, right? Yeah. And now those charging points you will have to pay for at some point. Yeah. And somebody else said to me, what, what are the government going to do about all the money they currently make from motorists buying yeah. petrol? Well, Because we know it's like 90% tax. Yeah. So they're going to have to start charging you. Presumably. Well, they've already they've started rowing back already because you used to be able to get a grant, I think, of three and a half thousand quid off a new car, right? Electric car, right? And I think from the last budget, it's now been dropping the ocean. It's down to a thousand. Well, I, I, I got in just before for the three and a half grand, which was yeah, nice. but that still makes it some ludicrous cost. Brought it down it? to ninety two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man of the people. Yeah. But um, oh, it was a joke, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but, it's only um, seventy five. But, you know, this. I think you're right. I think uh, the costs will rise as mm. it becomes normal. But yeah. they've got to find a way of getting people like you and me. No, but they've also, the... Yeah, but they've also got to find a way of making sure that there is enough power, haven't yes. they? Yes, yes. Because I'll tell you what it reminded me of. And I was actually in Sussex when I was reading all about how, you know, King's Cross Station's down. You know, it was like one of those doomsday scenarios where yeah. people were trapped on the Victoria Line in London with no light. Yeah. Nothing. Terrible. Can you imagine what that was like? Yeah. I mean, it must have been a field day for all Look the perverts, that. you know, oh because God. I don't even want to think about that, you know. Yeah. But, you know, you've got um, so much at stake. Yeah. Because I was in America many years ago, if you remember, when they had their massive power outage on the whole of the East Coast. I do. And it happened somewhere up near Niagara. Right, with some big sort of you know pumping station or something up there, and the whole of New York City and the metropolitan area went out. I had just dropped off. I was overseeing my visiting my kids who at the time lived with their mother in Washington, right? So it was all. I used to drive so many miles. I'd drop them in Washington and drive back up yeah. to New Jersey to New York Airport, which was about a four hour drive or something. Um, and then I'd fly back. I was living in Scotland at the time um, to um, to uh, Glasgow from Newark, and I pulled my rental car into the sort of parking lot. And it was Hertz or something like that. And as I got in, I, normally there's a guy there with a computer and they check in your car and all that. And you, you don't even have to go into the office. And I got out of the car and this guy was uh, saying to me, he said, I'm really sorry, we can't, um, we can't check you in at the moment. We, we haven't got any power. And I didn't really think much of it. I went, okay then, um, what shall I do? And they said, well, we don't know if we're going to get it back for a while. So, you know, we've got your credit card details. We'll just send you a, um, you know we'll send you a bit of bill. And I looked inside and I could see that the doors, and it was a really hot day, it was the middle of summer, yeah. so it was about 35 degrees, and I could see the doors were open, yeah. but it was all dark inside, right. right? So I sort of wandered over there, and then suddenly some guy put his loudspeaker on the radio, and they were talking, and there was 1010 Wins News, right? You know, you give me 20 minutes, we'll give you the world. And uh, I've never forgotten that. Every 20 minutes, I just did the same right. report. Right. It was right. amazing. And they were saying, there's this massive power outage, you know, the airports are down, you know, the subways are all down, everything's down. All the traffic lights are out, you know, yeah. elevators aren't working. And I'm going, Jesus, this is yeah. bad, you know. Yeah. So I said to the guy, um, so uh, are you still, like, taking people over to the terminal? I said, oh, what's happening? He said, well, we don't really know what's happening. Um, and we can't take you to the terminal. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, because the barrier's down. And there's no power to lift And the there's no power to lift. I said, well, can't I just drive through it? He yeah. just looks at me. Like, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. I said, well, how am I supposed to get over there? Yeah. He said, well, you have to walk. Walk. Because there's a monorail. But that was down that as well. That was down, yeah. And it's about like but three quarters of a mile. But they still flying out. 
No, nothing. So everything is everything. But we didn't really know at yeah. that point. It literally just happened. It was like, this happened a lot in the seventies, didn't it? You know. Well, I mean, I we remember to... my mum always having candles. Well, in we my used house. To, well that was because yeah. we had a three day week. That right. was thanks to the great socialist movement of the trade unions who Modern decided that they wanted to. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Is yeah. a funny one, right? The other night on Twitter, some woman um, who's now become very famous. I think it went viral. Yeah. Partly as a result of me putting it out. <laughs> she she said my partner's invented. Um, a left-wing version of Monopoly. Yeah, come on. Oh, my God. I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> and people were just, like, coming in with, you know, What's, well, that's great. What happens at the end? Is everybody bankrupt? You know, <laughs> it was just a massive piss-take. And all these people, were, I mean, like, if you looked at the lefties who were saying, oh, this is marvellous. Oh, I see you've used a union badge as the, you know, the, the marker. It was pathetic, you know. And it was like, well, as we get to the train stations, presumably they're all on strike, you know. <laughs> but, no, that was that was the three-day... That was when I gave yeah. up sugar. Because that was a three. I was at school. It was a three day week, and we used to go to school for one morning a week. Yeah. That was it. But I think because we had, no, we had no, we had no, we had no power. Yeah. No gas. Nothing. We went and played football on Wednesday afternoons. Wednesday morning went to school. That was it. But we used to I, spend the whole week looking in record shops. Mate, I bet you within twenty five years, mm. four day weeks will be absolutely normal. A lot of people will be working three day weeks because I just think there's not enough work for people. Why not? Well, the stuff gets more and more automated. Yeah. There's just not enough physical labor to do mm. so you can either get other jobs or you can work less and i think there is a but if you work less for less money that's no use no i don't think you will work less for less money i think there'll be the economy if the economy stays the same size and grows because of automation mm. there will be there'll be more tax coming in there'll be more the, the pool of money will be the same right so there'll be, or we could just keep borrowing it they'll need to or as Boris you know. seems to be quite happy to do but, well everyone does i mean the fact that we have someone's you've got to borrow it off someone yeah, no, but you don't really. You, just, you I mean, must do. Well, quantitative easing is about just making money. Making more money. It's just yeah, about that drives inflation. They talk about the magic money tree. That is the fucking magic money tree because yeah. there literally is no extra money. Yeah. You just go, okay, here's an extra five billion, and yeah. I just write it on a piece of paper and give it to you. Yeah. There's no actual five billion. But when you start doing that, then your credit rating as a nation collapses. And then Doesn't you, matter. Then your interest, it does matter because then your interest rates on the money you're trying to buy. Listen, I'm the one that did economics at university. None of it matters. <laughs> it's all bollocks, right? You you end up giving it all to the Chinese. I mean, the Chinese this now own. It's all your university. Yeah, no, it's all bollocks. It doesn't matter. So, what did you do? Well, with the, I worked years? out. I worked out very early on yeah. that all economic theory was simply that theory. Yeah, and that's all it is. Yeah, it's theory, and it's a prediction. But that doesn't mean you should disregard it completely. Well, what I'm saying is, is that all of the things that we've seen over the past three years should have taught you yeah. that when anybody gives you an absolute, says, "Oh, that can't happen," yeah, and then it does happen. You know, oh, you can't go into that much debt because then you'll you'll have yeah. no credit rating. We've seen Moody's, Standard & Poor, yeah. lowering our credit rating. And everybody in government goes, fuck off. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with our place. And nothing changes. Well, if you take it onto a, like a personal basis, if you go out and buy, you know, you fancy a new sports yeah. car, you go out and buy it, you borrow the money, yeah. you can't pay it back. Yeah. You get a county court judgment yeah, against you, then right. you're fucked. Yeah, but you no. can't do that against the country, can you? Well, they can. Well, they did. Argentina, where I spent a lot of time mm. working, effectively. Yeah, but that's because it was Argentina. But they they um, they reneged on their bonds. Yeah. Right? They just said, we're not going to pay it. Right. Right? And for, for I think, about a decade, mm. Argentina couldn't borrow money. And, right. and there's nothing got done in Argentina. Yeah, but that's, that's with the greatest respect <clears throat> to Argentina, that's Argentina. It's yeah. not Britain, the fifth largest economy in the world. For now. 
Yeah. Well, it's been that actually well, I'll tell for, you what, for now for quite a long time. You, I've got plenty of mates in Argentina time. who look at Britain and politics in Britain today and they're laughing and calling us a banana republic. Is so that right? It is right. Yeah, yeah. well, let's bring <clears> them <throat> into the show here and let's have a word with them because yeah. I may have right. something to say to them. <laughs> you know, you can't, just because you spent your lives cheating at everything doesn't mean <laughs> that you could actually start lecturing us about fucking democracy. Thanks very much indeed. They're the ones that had fucking Eva Perón. They walking, did. wandering about and sort of promising everybody everything will be fine as long as you just keep singing. You know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think you're confusing. I think you're confusing Madonna the musical, played the musical yeah. with the real. What are you saying? She didn't sing. Well, it's weird actually because every political party in Argentina yeah. now describes themselves as peronistas. Yeah. You know because you, she is so sacred to mm. Argentinian memory yeah. that you can't say, "Oh no, we disagree with Peron's right. policy." So you've effectively got the equivalent of the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. She's like Princess Diana, to both them, calling she? themselves Peronistas. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, she is godlike. What happened to that ghastly woman who was president for Christina a while? Christina Kirchner, wanted to, who wanted to come and get She's, the Falkland Islands. She again. might come back. She she fucked it all up, didn't she? She she is completely crooked. Yeah. She's one of these uh, again, one of these people who try to pretend that she's the new Peron. And yeah. When I was there. The streets of Buenos Aires were just full. They call them las casarolas because mm. they take out their casserole pans right. and bang them oh, with yeah. wooden spoons. Okay, and the whole street becomes this fascinating cacophony, culture, that, yeah. cacophony of noise, right. protesting for her. Right, and yet she was the one who was screwing the farmers right. and everyone into the ground. Right, she is. But she was making all the right noises about taking back the Fultons, which they love. Yes. Right? Oh no, they love a bit of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Las Malvinas. Las Malvinas. Right. Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing. Um, Talking about, you know, economies and the future and all of that, I don't believe this business that we will all be working less and having more leisure time because there's simply not enough money to go around. Mm. I really don't see that. You know, people are, some people are working harder now than they've ever worked. But what are people going to do? I know do you and I aren't. But so, no, well, they can't automate us. No, that's true. Thankfully. Not they yet. Haven't, they haven't developed a bullshit very well <laughs> but, but what are all these people going to do? Everything's getting automated more yeah. and more so surely there's going to be more leisure time and there's going to be more opportunity for people yeah, to but isn't do that why we now live in a service economy though because there will still be restaurants you can't automate yeah. a restaurant right no. you can't automate cooking really no so you can't automate bars yeah you can't really automate um you know the service industry who will wash your clothes yeah. or dry you know or you know i don't know well, dry clean you your clothes can, can't you well, yeah. I suppose so, but I mean... I'll bet you someone will invent an uh, e-dry cleaner or I mean, one like of the that, things I found fascinating when I first went to Actually, live in America... that's a great business, that, going door-to-door. -door. You know, there is, I think there is one. Clothes. I've seen it advertised right. on the tube. Right. You know, but the thing is, right, um, when I first moved to America from London, I was amazed at how much there was that you could get done or have somebody else do for you. Yeah. You know, which we hadn't quite got, but now we yeah. have. Yeah. You know, we've got the Deliveroo guys, we've got Just Eat. I mean, I yeah. don't want my pizza delivered... On a drone, thanks. No. So no matter what, you're going to need somebody to drive the, uh, you know, drive the, <laughs> the motorbike yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't really. I mean, I don't foresee in our lifetime um, being driven around by driverless cars. Do you not? I've oh, really I don't. definitely think. That's I think happen. that's going to be a while away. That will. I think it'll happen much quicker than. I you love know. the dilemmas that they're finding though with these. Have you read some of the stuff that they're doing? Because there's some research. Well, the research they're doing. Well, the research they're doing in California, right? where they've got situations, because the problem is is that these driver's cars keep running over people, right? Yeah. Because if they go wrong somehow, they can't make a moral judgment on what to do. <laughs> so, for example, if you're driving towards, you know, um, a zebra crossing, say, yeah. um, and, there's a, and, and you put your brakes on and the car starts to skid somehow, yeah. and to the left there's an old woman with a, um, you know, a shopping trolley, to the right there's a group of school children. Yeah. The electric uh, driverless car... Can't go for the old woman. No, doesn't yeah. know what to do. 
Yeah. Unlike what we would do, we just would go. go we obviously woman. can't run the kids over. You'll have to run the old woman over, right? You have to make that decision. Yeah. Right. You have to decide which it's way like to go. That, um, psychological test. That yeah. Do. Have you heard this one? Right. I think it goes like this: You're stood on the top of a railway bridge, yeah. and you see a runaway train yeah. coming towards a group of railway workers okay. right, who haven't seen it. Right. But there's a woman on the bridge with you, and you know if you can push that woman in front of the train mm. to her death, right. the train will stop okay. and not kill the six railway right. workers down the road. What okay. do you do? Do depends you pick the woman up and throw her over the bridge? Depends if you're married to her, <laughs> I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> so you could stand, you could hang around for ages waiting for that opportunity. Yeah, you could. <laughs> Well, look, it's a no, 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 stay, stay, stay. <laughs> or would you do the most selfless thing? Throw, throw yourself, yourself over the bridge. Do you know what? No one ever says that for you me. See? You are the most compassionate human yeah. being. That's, that's very unusual. That quiz. Nobody's ever said that to me in my life. <laughs> yeah. But listen, go back to the um, to the power cut, right? So, so I'm thinking it's a hot dog. I've got a great big suitcase, right? I'm thinking, Christ Almighty, you know, I've got to walk all the way over there. I don't even know at this point whether there anything's, you know, operational. So yeah. um, I saw a Marriott, uh, one of these Marriott um, buses, and I hailed it and run it down, and it was full of people. And I said to the guy, here's 20 bucks, he'd take me to the terminal. He's like, yeah, sure. So <laughs> I Americans, was going anyway. They, yeah, was, <laughs> the Americans love money, right? So they dropped me at the terminal, get to the terminal. It's absolutely rammed, people sitting on the floor, you know, there's no air conditioning, the doors yeah. are all open, looking up at the screens are all black, nothing happening. Horrible. It was horrendous. There were I mean, there were people fainting, I mean, it was that bad. You know, there's some old Scottish guy, because I was flying back to Glasgow, yeah. who had to be taken away in an ambulance because I think he'd had a stroke or something, oh, you know. Yeah. At the middle of it all, uh, I'm sort of standing near the front, looking, trying to see what's going on. And this guy starts walking through, you know, people are literally sitting on the floor and it's been a real pain in the ass, like trying to get to the front. Yeah. And it turns out he's from Brazil, this guy, right? Yeah. He gets to me. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going over there. I said, what are you going over there for? I said, nobody's going anywhere. There is no point in going anywhere. <laughs> And he said, he looks at me, he goes, who do you think you are, God? <laughs> and I said, no, I don't think I'm fucking God. But I said, you should go back there and sit down. If something happens, you know, you yeah. won't, you don't worry about it. You'll yeah. get your plane. Yeah. He, he leaned back to try and punch me. You're kidding. Yeah. And luckily somebody sort of grabbed him and took, took, took him away. But people were getting very worked yeah, up. Oh, my God. Because we'd been there for about two hours by this yeah. time. And no, there was no news. news at all. Eventually, they somehow got the... Um, <laughs> Uh, they got a generator working. So, because I mean, again, they didn't have a generator, Bloody and they decided that they could allow all the international flights to go, but not the domestic ones. Yeah. And I mean, I think this was after nine eleven, because I remember thinking to myself, "This is unbelievable." Because there was no security; they were just like, "Just run!" Jesus, everyone Christ. was running through the security gate to get to the planes Bloody that were taking God. off. And the best bit about it was when I got to um, to Glasgow Airport, I come off right, and there's a reporter and a photographer there, and this guy comes up to me and he goes. Uh, Oh, excuse me, son, have you just come from uh, New York? I said, yeah, I have, actually, yeah. He said, all oh, right. He said, can you tell us what happened? And I said, uh, well, I could do. I said, where are you from? He said, we're from the Scottish Sun. I said, well, you probably don't really want me to quote to be quoted. And uh, Why not? I said, because I'm the editor of the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy said, we'll, we'll just put your name in and we'll say you're from Garnet Hill. So I said, yeah, fair enough. You ran in the paper. They quoted me, Mark Graham from Garnet Hill. That's brilliant. It was very funny. But I mean, unusual for them because they would normally just sit in the office and make it all up. Anyway. Well, that's very true, and especially if Peter Cox had still been the editor. But Peter Cox had gone to the Daily Record by this time. Coxy, oh, oh God, he was a hard bloke to work for. Well, he and I had some fantastic run-ins. I mean, I was there yeah. three days. Yeah. Right, Piers had said to me, yeah. you know, go up and um, you know sort out the uh, the mirror because this Peter Cox guy isn't fucking ruining because he used to yeah. nick stories all the time. Yeah. 
and put them in the record yeah. after they'd been exclusive to the mirror, and the mirror were holding them out, you know, and stuff like that. So we did it to him. He was fucking ape shit. Yeah, you know. I was his deputy for a while. Were you? Oh yeah, on on the on the mirror, and he was such a hard bastard. I guess he was on the night. No, he was the night editor, wasn't he? Because what happened was he came to the mirror as deputy editor from the Sun, where he'd been sort of tutored by Kelvin McKenzie, right, and. Then Rupert Murdoch. Then he got sent to New York. He got sent to the New York paper, and apparently, and the editor at the New York paper thought, right, I'll just buzz off and leave him to it because you know that was the idea. And he, the story I heard was that they had a very urbane Chinese American uh, designer who would draw the front page. Yeah. And on day one, Peter Cox walked up to this guy, Tony J or G or something. Yeah. I can't remember. And said, here, this is what the one page wants to look like." And he went, "Okay, no problem. Leave it with me." And I came back about an hour later and looked over this guy's shoulder and it wasn't exactly as he mm. did. And Coxie sort of made Chinese eyes, you know, and went, no, no, Peter say you do like this, you know. And this guy turned around and said, what the fuck, the man? You know, anyway, so Murdoch phoned Mackenzie yeah. and said, this guy's an absolute disaster. You've yeah. got to get him back to, yeah. to London. So he takes him back. And then he well, I think it was worse than that the because I then the, the other version of that I heard, which includes that, but yeah. also then includes the next day yeah. when he came in and some guy was wandering around the uh, newsroom. Uh, Cox didn't like the look of him, yeah. so uh, basically kind of went up to him and said, "You know, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Um, you know, get off my fucking editorial floor, right?" Yeah. Unfortunately, it was Marty Singerman who was Rupert's kind of right-hand man in America Fantastic. at the time. Fantastic. And that was fucking the end of him. So when Coxie was a, was really nasty to me a couple of times. and He's nasty to everyone. Yeah, so I remember when he was on holiday once and a job came up and I was desperate to get away from, from him, so yeah. I applied for it. Yeah. And then he came back and we had this whole day where we were working quite amicably yeah. together. And just as I said, right, Peter, that's me, good night, he said, oh, by the way... You ever think you can go behind my fucking back and expect me to support you in a job? You're joking, you stupid idiot. Like that. And so, really? yeah, so that was that. So, anyway, when he had his leaving do, he got slightly got my revenge because right. he, he had his leaving do and he was driving a big Land Rover down from north to south in Africa. Right. This was his thing. And we did him a front page where he had uh, the headline was him in a sort of like native kind of costume right. and the he- and the headline was Cunty Coxie <laughs> <laughs> with K's of course but he I mean he hated it when he saw it which delighted yeah. me no well idea. there's a lot of very interesting stories about him some of which will only be told probably after his demise yeah um, some of which may appear in my book yeah um, but his wife uh, was an interesting woman. She was um, a, a sort of sub-editor. That's right. And much taller than him. That's right. And she did a book uh, with a very famous Rangers Italian footballer called Lorenzo Amoruso. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. And uh, there's some very interesting stories around Andare, that. Amore. Yeah, he's the guy who, um, when Rangers won the title, I think it must have been when um, uh, Big Eck was still in charge, you know, yeah. um, Alec, uh, what's his name? You know, who ended up with doing the Scottish job. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Um, what's his bloody name? Yeah, you remember it in a second. Yeah, it'll come. Anyway, he um, he was the manager, I think. It was when Rangers were doing that business of, of basically beating Celtic quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and Lorenzo Amoruso came out at the end of uh, the... You know, they won the cup or something like that. And there was question marks about whether he was going to stay in Scotland. Yeah. And they said to him, uh, so, Lorenzo, you know, you've just won the cup. You know, how long are you going to stay... 
uh, are you going to be here next season? And he said, famously, he looked into the camera and he had this big long hair. It was like one of these, you know, like Mills Alex McLeish, wasn't it? Alex McLeish, yeah. yeah. And he said, uh, Larry Rangers is my life. <laughs> you know, literally the next day he was off back to Italy <laughs> yeah. where he'd signed with Napoli or somebody, yeah. you know, so he didn't even stay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, lots of funny stories about Peter Cole. Well, so one, just one more, not to pile on him too much, but the, I remember... I don't even think he's... I think he might be back at the Sun now. because, he? Well, he got fired from the mirror, finally, from the record, rather, finally, because... Well, there were two things that he really cocked up which didn't please, you know, the head boys in London. Yeah. One was um, when Gordon Brown and his wife had their first child, who was stillborn, in fact. Well, was yeah. he the still, was stillborn? He, no, think? he died, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm not I sure whether so. he lived a few hours. Or yeah, a few hours, yeah, yeah, but basically yeah. was, you know, yeah. and, and they had a picture of Gordon Brown coming out of the hospital looking yeah. pretty glum, and he did a front page with a picture of him saying, why so glum? Yeah, God. That was the first You're thing. Yeah. And then the second thing, was when the the record sent a whole bunch of reporters and photographers down to Newcastle because they'd heard that Celtic were having their Christmas party down there. Yeah. And it all went wrong, ended up with people getting punched, people yeah. falling into canals and stuff like that. Yeah. And it turned out that basically it had all been kind of stunted up yeah. by the record. Right. You know, really? and they fell out massively with Celtic football club. Right, right. Which you can't really you do. Can't do that I mean you can be reasonably sort of critical, yeah. but you can't kind of, you know, yeah. take them on because yeah. they're too powerful. So I I remember very early on in my in very early on in Piers's editorship actually, and P, and Cox was Peter Cox was the night editor yeah. at that point, which is like a very important job. But you're in charge of basically the whole production unit. Yeah, you know? you're deciding pretty much what goes where, yeah. how you present it. You right. write the big headlines, you mm. design the pages, and there was a story about a guy who had that skin, a black guy who had that skin pigmentation oh, thing right. that Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson had. Yeah. Right, so he was going white all yeah. the time. And the headline that Peter put on it was, I used to be black, but I'm all white now. Right. And I looked at this and I thought, no, that's just, that's just fucking racist. Yeah. You know, that is, that is yeah. out and out racist. And I remember Piers coming out of his office and looking at me and I sort of nudged my head towards yeah. the screen. And Piers it's also in. not very Daily Mirror, is it? No, I mean, it was, very sun, it was sort of very, 1978. yeah, horrible. The worst yeah. of the sun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and we had an Asian, an Indian uh, chief subeditor called Pratim, a brilliant, oh, yeah, I'm a person, yeah. Really, brilliant character. And Piers came over and said, "You sure about that headline, Peter? It looks maybe like it's like the most fucking racist thing I've seen this week." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and people go, "Ah, nah, it's all right. It's a bit fun, isn't it? A bit of fun, yeah. like you know." And Piers said, called Pratima over and said, "What do you think of this headline?" And she just looked at it with absolute derision, yeah. you know, and just said, "Change it." And yeah. walked back to her desk, yeah. you know. And that's so, but but to be fair to Peter, mm. th there were a dozen characters like that who'd all come through that kind of sun yeah. environment, yeah. and under Kelvin, and that's all they knew, and that's how they yeah. they all wanted to be Kelvin yeah. and They all and unfortunately, you know, Kelvin, whatever anyone thinks about him, has a, a unique talent yeah. in, in tabloid journalism. Yeah. And knows how to. Although even he has said recently yeah. he couldn't do it now because in the current no, climate no, in which we no. live. He wouldn't be He'd able never to be, get away be a boss. Yeah. And he wouldn't be able to do the kind of stories that he did or That's write right. the kind of headlines that he wrote. That's you know? right. And he accepts that. But Thank Cox God. and I, yeah, I mean, Cox and I kind of uh, got into this feud very early on um, because of the fact that, you know, I'd basically done what he was always doing to the mirror. Um, and he went apeshit. And, yeah. and it got to such an extent where he rang me, I remember he rang me at home, he started shouting down the phone to me. And yeah. I just said, look, mate, I don't know who the yeah. fuck you think you're talking to. Right. But one, you're shorter than I am. You're older than I am. So yeah. you want to fucking come over? Yeah. Come have it. Come, yeah. come and have something. Yeah. You know? um, I went in the next day, and it was all this. You nice know, as uh, No, oh no, no, no. The feud right. went on for a while. Oh, really? It got so bad um, that I was ringing up um, IT down in London 
because they were basically because I came in and, and our news editor was quite a clever guy and he knew where all the bodies were buried in the, in the record he knew how to get yeah. into all of their baskets yeah. he said they've locked us out of everything Right. You can't see You're anything. Kidding. And we couldn't run the mirror in Scotland without what they had. Of right? course. So I called London. I said, right, cut them off. Racing, sport, everything. Right. Cut them all off. Bloody hell. So they, so they couldn't get... Because he started threatening... As I said to Piers, this guy's now threatening not to allow the mirror to be printed. That's just ridiculous. In Scotland. I said, it's yeah. our printing plant, I believe. So maybe we should be telling him. And Piers loved it because he yeah. thought it was hilarious. Because, of course, Cox kept sending him emails which Piers would ping to me yeah. about, what's this wanker doing now, little bastard, you know. And he had this huge, and I used to say he was a bit like Herbert Lom in those Pink Panther films. Yeah. Every time he heard my name, he sort of twitched yeah. And he had this huge office, right, because he was such yeah. a little Napoleon figure. Yeah. And he would sit in there and he refused to meet me, yeah. even because he got to such an extent that the chief executive guy had to broker a meeting between us, right? Um, and he refused to attend it. Oh he said he would God. send Murray Foote, who was his deputy, Bloody but he man. wouldn't. He wouldn't meet me. It was hilarious. Strange. Guy. And then when he eventually went, yeah. Unfortunately, by that stage, um, Piers had had lost power because Sly and Bailey had, yeah. had come in, and he because I'd said to him that you know you promised me if I could get rid of Peter Cox, I'd get his job, and he's like I can't do it. It's out of my hands. You know, it's not it's not my train set yeah. anymore. He used to phone me at nine in the morning, right, when yeah. I was the late night editor. So so I'd, you'd already been up till I'd, be, I'd finish work at three o'clock. I'd go back to that. So it'd be four thirty, and yeah. you're always buzzing, you know. So it'd probably be about four or five o'clock yeah. before I got some sleep. Right, and he'd phone at nine. So wake me up. I'd yeah. phone it up and say, "What the fuck did you do that on page 17? Yeah, yeah. Piers is furious. Right. You know? Absolutely furious. And so sometimes that wouldn't even be true. You better have some good answers when you come in. So you'd spend the rest mm. of your day shitting yourself about yeah. what was waiting for you right. when you got in. You got in and Piers, not a word, right. not a dicky book, yeah. nothing. I got that from Craig McKenzie once when I stayed in to do it was the night of the Diana um, Panorama interview. Yeah. You know where it was. There's three of us in this marriage, which was incredible by yeah. itself, right? Bombshell, yeah. But not only that, but the Express being what it was, it was in the final days of sort of Nick Lloyd editors, um, sort of you know jamboree, and Nick Lloyd went home at seven o'clock. You know we sat out, we sat together sort of for about an hour plotting what we would do because we knew that first edition we'd only have about an hour or less yeah. to get the first edition away. Yeah. And the first headline that came out was something like, um, I will not go quietly. So I went, right, I will not go quietly. Bang, let's go. Yeah. By fucking 20 minutes later, it was, you know, there were three of us in the marriage. Yeah. I'm going, for fuck's right. sake. Bring that one Third back. edition, yeah. you know, yeah. slip, blah, whatever. Yeah. But the deputy editor was off. Craig McKenzie was a night editor, off. Yeah. Um, editor gone. So it was me and yeah. a guy called Ian Walker, who you know, yeah. Yeah. who was the news editor, basically putting this whole thing together, yeah. right? And it was so good that we were doing, we'd already mapped out, we'd do sort of, you know, one, four, five, maybe six, seven, if it was any good. Yeah. We started, we're going fucking one to 11. Yeah, so, you know, we're doing it all. Pile it on. You yeah. know, pile it all on. Yeah. And I did that thing, and I was quite inexperienced as a production guy in those days because I'd come from the other side. But I did that thing that I'd seen Time Magazine do, which is to take like six different poses and make some like four or five, right. six yeah, different yeah, headshots yeah, yeah, yeah. all across the yeah. top, run the whole fucking thing, yeah. split it up with a few subdecks. Yeah. And, you know, which is what, funnily enough, the mail did the following day right. in a supplement. But because we hadn't broken it up enough, I get a phone call. And we'd been out till about 4.30 in the morning because we'd gone off to a nightclub going, yeah. you know, this is amazing. This yeah. is the greatest story ever. Great job done. Um, you know, fantastic job. We took yeah. the pages with us, looking at them in this nightclub, surrounded by members of the police and hookers and yeah. all this somewhere yeah. around the back of Knightsbridge, you know. <laughs> yeah. Went home and thought, what a great night's work. Fantastic. Yeah. I get a phone call from Craig McKenzie at about half past eight. Um 
giving me the same sort of shit, yeah. saying, you know, Nick's really upset. Why did you why did you not break the story up more? You should have done six, seven different... Oh, I'm like, do you know what? Why don't you fuck off? Maybe yeah. you should have been there. Don't fucking call me and fucking tell me I didn't do a good job. Yeah. You should have fucking been a slam. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went back to bed, but I woke up and I thought, that's it for me. That's yeah. the end of my fucking career. Screwed. I'm going to walk in there. And one, they're going to fire me for insubordination or for being shit. One yeah. of the two. I'm not sure. Yeah. And in the end, it was fine. Oh, you know. I mean, the best Craig story. And we should say... We both love him dearly. We do. Right. Very much. Very, very good friend of ours. Yeah. Um, when Diana died, I remember getting the phone call at four in the morning right. and being told, right, Diana's dead. Right. It was John Moorhead was yes. the uh, night editor. So right. you can get in straight away. I lived about 20 minutes from the office. So yeah. I was one of the first in. Yeah. And we started obviously producing, yeah. you know, a 96 page paper, which was right. the most we could print. Mm. Within about an hour and a half, you couldn't print enough papers. The place was full, right? And it was right. the, it was the Sunday, and and traditionally on a Sunday for for the Monday edition, yeah. the newspapers it's a will quiet have a little, sort of day, yeah. Yeah, and they'll have a rotor of people who edit the paper, yeah. so the main editor won't be there, but there'll be a rotor, and it was Craig's turn to mm. edit the paper. Right. So anyway, this is the biggest story in the history of stories, yeah. And the place is full, and everyone's going, "Where's Craig? Where's right. Craig?" Because he was the he was meant to be editing, editing the paper. Editing the day, yeah. Anyway, Craig, at about half past 11, yeah. wanders in through the room, right. looks around him, sees the place buzzing, and says, have I missed much? <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, I've heard a couple of versions of the story as well. Is it not one where he's sort of listening to CDs or something on the way no, to that's work? No, He was listening to CDs he hadn't in his heard. car, so he didn't even switch but the But that still on. doesn't explain how he didn't hear before he left the house. No, he didn't put the TV Because I did one of those, because, I mean, these are great, great stories to tell, because I, I was in Wiltshire at the time yeah. um, with my, my kids who are now much older and their mother, and I think we'd been out for dinner or something quite late. So I remember sitting... Um, basically sipping a glass, everybody had gone to bed, I was sort of sitting, um, sipping some brandy, listening to some music or something like that, and my sister rang and said, uh, have you seen the news? And in those days, there was no 24-hour sky right. or anything yeah. like that. You know, we're talking, what, 1987? Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen the news? And I said, uh, what? And I was a bit pissed. I said, what do you mean, what news? She said, Diana, it's dead. Yeah. And I said, what, you read, what are you reading the fucking National Enquirer or something? I said, what are you talking about? She's yeah. like, no, she's dead. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And I went, what? And I put on C-Fax, which yeah, was the only thing right, I had. That's right, yeah. Right? And it wasn't on there. Yeah. Right, yet. Because she'd somehow been watching, of course, like in America. It was five hours earlier. pounds holiday to Tenerife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, do the lottery numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going, what is going on? So I rang. Um, I rang, I think I rang the office, because it was a seven-day operation in those days. So, you know, there were people in doing work on the Sunday Express, you know. So I rang, you know, I got Tessa Hilton, who yeah, was the deputy yeah. editor, um, and I said, uh, hi Tessa, it's Mike Graham. Oh, hi Mike. I said, why has nobody rung me? I said, the fucking, you know, the biggest story in the world has happened. I was the night editor. Yeah. I said, what's going on? She said, oh, oh yeah, Dinah's dead. I said, well, you know, thanks for telling me. <laughs> thanks for the job, you know. didn't you? And uh, I said, well, I'm coming in. She said, oh, do you think you need to? Yeah, kid. I said, are you joking? Was I she said, of course I'm Did she, she have came, Yeah, she did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and she was editing the Sunday that night. You right, know? right. So she, that's why she, she didn't was want in. any interference, well, though, I guess, maybe. And, uh, maybe. And, because they actually did really well, because they put out a 6 a.m. edition. That's right. Um, yeah. Which hit the streets at sort of 9 o'clock. Yeah. And uh, she said, and she said something really weird, which I can only assume I've put down to her being sort of in a panic. She sort of said, she said to me, I don't know where everybody's going to sit. <laughs> I said well don't worry darling I won't be doing much sitting I'll mostly be striding up and down walking about shouting you know 
<laughs> so I then rang Ian Walker, who also yeah. lived like 10 minutes away from me in Wiltshire, right? Yeah. And I rang, I said, uh, he answered the phone, and I said, have you fucking heard? He went, what? I said, Diana's dead. He said, yeah, I know. I said, well, why have you fucking told me? I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm having a sleep. I said, why? He said, well, I'm going in in about two hours. He said, I'm going to go in at about six. Right. Really? You know, the fucking Sunday's taken care of. I don't care about that. Yeah. We're going in to do the daily. I said, well, can I come in with you then? Yeah. He went, yeah, okay. So I drove to his house, um, and then he, we both drove up together. Amazing. And we literally worked, as I'm sure you did, yeah. pretty much around the clock for about for the, seven days. For the next until, seven days. Until the funeral. So the first time I remember getting out of the office, mm. really, apart from just going home to sleep for three or four yeah. hours, was... I went on the day before uh, the funeral. Mm. I went to Kensington Palace to see the flowers. Right. I, I just I wanted to yeah. see it, you know. And I remember. Well, it's amazing how many people I knew. I didn't yeah. actually do it, but loads of people I knew did. Yeah. And were really touched by. Well, it, what you know? struck me was, I mean, it was it was incredible. It was very hot, very dusty, yeah. and very quiet. And the smell was quite interesting. It was right? very very kind fragrant. Of, yes. Yeah. And what struck me though was along that there's that long wall, which yeah. is the wall for the road that mm. goes up to the back. There were, it was filled full of deliveries from Interflora. Right. So not people who'd come and laid flowers, right. but people who just spent sent 50 quid and sent flowers. Wow. So there's this procession of Interflora guys just yeah. bringing another bouquet like all the time. Oh, it was incredible. incredible. We'll never see anything like that. No, amazing time. And funnily enough, when we did the, fi- the, sort of the final, um, I suppose, act was the funeral itself. Yeah. Um, and by which time we'd all become slightly kind of, I suppose, jaded by it all. And I remember yeah. going... A bunch of us going, finally sending the last paper off on, on the on the edition for the funeral, going off to the Oxo Tower, yeah. um, where we all just started drinking champagne and doing that thing. And people were actually, like, kind of, um, kind of uh, almost wincing. Yeah, judging. Watching yeah, us, yeah, going, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? And we sort of had to stop doing it, because yeah. we were laughing, because yeah. the Princess Diana jokes had started, you yeah. know. You know, what's, what's her favourite car to drive? You know, there was all sorts of stuff, which I suppose, in retrospect, you would go... Oh, well, you know, that's in bad taste and all yeah. that. Um, but the but truth I, is, and I know people say this, and they probably, when people hear it, they probably think, oh, that's just bollocks and they mm. just make an excuse. But the truth is, you couldn't do a job like that unless no. you were having some yeah. joke while it was going on. Yeah, you know, otherwise, course. it would just be relentless like, yeah. depression. I'm not going to make out that it's like being in the police force or anything like that, but it is, yeah. you know, you're, there are stressful things, and there are, I mean, I remember seeing the picture. Which I don't know if you've yeah, seen, I've seen it, yeah. of her sitting in the back it of the car with the, the blood, blood with the blood coming down, out of yeah. her um, face, and an yeah. incredible picture. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think it may well prove that that's why I was slightly deranged. I was at one point saying we should use it. Yeah. You know, right. Because I wanted to. Because I thought, right. I think we should see this. You yeah. know, why are we not showing it? Well, the minute Piers came, I remember Piers coming in at about six o'clock in yeah. the morning. Or something. He had a bit of a longer trip. Yeah. And and Ian Down was the picture editor, right. and he called him over very discreetly and said, "Look, Piers." Yeah. And Piers. He, the minute he saw it, he just said, wipe them all off the system. Yeah. So they were, because of course he recognised that it was the chase for those pictures yeah. that would be blamed for yeah. for her death, yeah. you know, which was, which was the whole guys, story, which yeah. Which was absolutely true. Yeah, it was, um, but it was slightly more nuanced. I never forgave that uh, brother of hers for getting That's, up in Westminster yeah, Abbey Spencer. and making that speech. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. But, but the, the private eye got it right, I think, in their own inimitable style. They had a cover of mourners outside Buckingham Palace and he had one saying it's the bloody newspaper's fault I know they're terrible aren't they here read all about it I've got yeah. my copy in the yeah. car you know it's yeah. kind of, and it, the truth is yeah. that newspapers are only responding to consumer yeah. demand you know so if you look at something in a best-selling newspaper mm. and think that 
it's a bad reflection of the newspaper, yeah. it's also a bad reflection yeah. of society. At the whole. I think so. Yeah. That's a good place to end. That is on that bombshell. We are the Thought Police. We are. I've got plenty Quite of mates in Argentina time. who look at Britain and politics in Britain today and they're laughing and calling us a banana republic. Is so that right? It is right. Yeah, yeah, well, let's bring them into the show here and let's have a word with them because yeah. I may have right. something to say to them. <laughs> you know, you can't, just because you spent your life cheating at everything doesn't mean that you could actually start lecturing us about fucking democracy. Thanks very much indeed. They're the ones that had fucking Eva Perón. They walking, did. wandering about and sort of promising everybody everything will be fine as long as you just keep singing. You know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think you're confusing. I think you're confusing Madonna the musical, the musical yeah. with the real. What you said, she didn't sing. So anyway, this is the biggest story in the history of stories. Yeah. And the place is full. And everyone's going, where's Craig? Where's right. Craig? Because he was the he was meant to be editor of the day, yeah. Anyway, Craig, at about half past 11, yeah. wanders in through the room, right. looks around him, sees the place buzzing, <laughs> and says, have I missed much? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. I think it goes like this, you're stood on the top of a railway bridge yeah. and you see a runaway train yeah. coming towards a group of railway workers okay. right, who haven't seen it. Right. But there's a woman on the bridge with you and you know if you can push that woman in front of the train mm. to her death, right. the train will stop and okay. not kill the six railway right. workers down the road. What okay. do you do? Do depends. you pick the woman up and throw her over depends the bridge? Depends if you're married to her, <laughs> I suppose. <isn't> it? <laughs> Do you know what? Why don't you fuck off? Maybe yeah. you should have been there. Don't fucking call me and fucking tell me I didn't do a good job. Yeah. You should have fucking been a slap. Yeah.